Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. Big news and congratulations for VCU's theater department, where I graduated. It was just named one of the top 25 drama schools in the world by The Hollywood Reporter. Arthur's voice tends to be kind of, you know, flat and steady. He's not an emotional guy. Right. So in a documentary, sometimes you want to ramp up the emotion a little bit. So then we can have John Carlos or Andrew Young tell a portion of the story in South Africa or what it meant that Arthur, you know, stood up and spoke out in, in a certain instance. That's director Rex Miller talking about Citizen Ash, a documentary that looks at Richmond native Arthur Ashe, not only as a tennis legend, but as a leader for important political and social causes. The film is running on CNN starting June 26th. We're going to talk about making it, shooting in Richmond, and lots more. Sifter Review of the Week. Good luck to you, Leo Grand, on Hulu. Emma Thompson plays a widow whose marriage lacked erotic fulfillment, so she hires a sex worker, played by Daryl McCormick. With minor exceptions, they're the only characters in what becomes a dialogue about human connection. Thompson lovingly creates a nervous, tenuous character that's not only vulnerable, but amusing. McCormick's performance adds the right amount of genuine warmth with sexual charm and physical appeal. Of course, all the press is about Thompson's nude scene, which is entirely appropriate. Her final close-up sums it all up beautifully. This is a genuinely appealing, intimate two-hander about a short-term relationship that results in long-term changes for them both. I gave it four out of five stars. Rex Miller, welcome to Sifter for the Year. Thank you for having me, Jerry. I had an interview on this show in March with Kevin Wilmot. Do you know who that is? That name sounds familiar. It probably should. He's written three screenplays for Spike Lee, including winning an Oscar for Black Klansman. But as he told me in the show, he's currently pinning a screenplay on Arthur Ashe. I had heard that rumor. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, I've confirmed it right now. We have officially confirmed it right here. Yeah. You must be quite a tennis nut. You've already done one doc about Althea Gibson, and I read that you also had a personal experience with Arthur Ashe when you were very young. Tell me more. Yeah, so I am the uh, offspring of two tennis fanatics who actually met on a tennis court. And uh, I had no choice but to be the little kid in the crib next to the tennis court even before I could walk. (laughs) So I was fully indoctrinated into all things tennis from the get go. And in 68, I was six years old and I was at the finals of the U.S. Open where Arthur Ashe defeated Tom Ocker. And I was there by myself because it was a Monday and my parents had to go to work. So I don't know if uh, that scene could be repeated these days, like drop your kid off at the open. <laughs> really? Six and yeah. go through security and all that. But yeah, I, I was going to the open. I think that was the first year, but I went a lot of days that year, including the finals and every subsequent year. And I was a ball boy at the open and I played college tennis. Wow. I played senior tennis. I still coach tennis, so can't get away from it. Tennis is in your blood, obviously. Now, you did a short called Ash 68. Was that a warm-up for this? Ash 68 is an eight-minute virtual reality film shot in 360 Uh that was an accompanying component to the Citizen Ash Project. The VR film takes us to the 1968 U.S. Open 
and we reenacted match point in 360. We visit wow. Arthur in the locker room, going through the hallowed halls of the all-white <laughs> Westside Tennis Club, and had a pro player, Chris Eubanks, playing Arthur Ashe. Wow. I didn't ask you, do you actually remember Arthur Ashe from when you were six, or was that just kind of a fleeting impression at this point? That's a great question. It's kind of a fleeting impression. The years that I went to the Open kind of blend together. The memory that I do have really strongly of Arthur, it was actually a couple of weeks before that 68 Open. Uh, my father took me up to Boston to Longwood Club and Arthur autographed a, a white tennis ball for me. That I remember very clearly. And you still have it, I hope. Nope. <laughs> oh, wow. That sucks, doesn't I it? I had it for a while, but those things disappear yeah. <laughs> when you're a kid. Now, the movie is called Citizen Ash. What was the inspiration for that title? I got to give credit to Stephen Cantor, one of our producers who came up with that. From the get-go, the mission to me was always to really tell the story of Arthur as a human being, as a person on a personal journey rather than just a tennis movie about his tennis accomplishments. And from the beginning, we focused a lot on 1968. 1968 was such a pivotal year in this country with the assassinations of King and Kennedy, Vietnam War protests. And of course, Arthur won the U.S. Open. And it's really when he began speaking out as a citizen. One of the th scenes in the documentary where he talks about actually hearing about Dr. King's assassination and he had to pull over. I'm a little older than you. I was in college. I was on my way home from Richmond to Florida, and we were on the train when we heard it. And I can still remember that. So it's interesting that, you know, there are certain events in your life that you are cemented there forever. So what did you do to finally convince Arthur Ashe's widow that the time was right to jump in and do this? No way I could have done this film or the team could have done this film without the participation of the Ashe family, both Johnny Ashe and Jeannie Matusume Ashe, Arthur's wife. I had actually met Jeannie in my 20s when I was teaching tennis in New York. And Jeannie came by one day and just wanted to hit with a pro. And I was the lucky guy that got to hit with her. And she's a, good, she's a good player. I was at the time an aspiring photojournalist teaching tennis to make ends meet and find my way. And Jeannie sat and talked with me for a long time. And Jeannie is a world-class photographer. So she made an impact on me just by sitting and talking with me and kind of taking me seriously. So fast forward 20 years later, I approached her to do an interview for the Althea documentary. Footnote. Althea Gibson was an American tennis player who was one of the first black athletes to cross the color line in international tennis in 1956 when she won the Grand Slam. And so when I reached out to her about this film, at first she was just too busy and said, you go ahead, I'll say nice things about you, but I don't have time to be involved in Eventually, we had to get her approval or else it wasn't going to go forward. Sure. And uh, she came on board as a producer. Also, she shared a whole lot of archival material, her personal photographs, as well as some video recordings that she had on old CDs and DVDs. But to her credit, she also told me early on, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I just want to help you get it right. 
I noticed there's not a lot of interviews with other family members or even a lot of people in Richmond. Uh, was that because you didn't need them because you had so much footage and you had, of course, recordings of Ash from many different sources? Was that because you just didn't want to expand it or didn't need to expand it? Well, that's a great question. And the answer is yes, I did interview some other folks in Richmond and had some great quotes from people. And I wanted to actually include more about Richmond at the end of the film when the George Floyd demonstrations were going on and Richmond itself was bubbling up with the removal of the Confederate statues and all the graffiti. And uh, a couple people from Richmond helped me to connect to other folks in Richmond that knew Arthur. And we did some interviews with folks that grew up with Arthur. But in a 90-minute film, when you've done 40 interviews, you have to make some tough edits. And, you know, this film could easily have been two hours or a couple of parts, but it was just a question of tough edits and sorting things out. But to me, Richmond is really important in Arthur's story because that those are his roots. Right, and, right. and he was uh, a Southern Black man. And even though I'm a New Yorker, I live in the South. I live in Durham, North Carolina. So I like to think I brought some understanding of the Southern experience to Arthur's story. Also, there was no mention or showing of the Arthur Ashe statue or even the fact that a street called Boulevard that had been around, it's a major thoroughfare, was now called Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Did those things happen after you had finished shooting and editing or was there a reason, a decision not to use those? With regards to the renaming of, of the boulevard there, Arthur Ashe Boulevard, I went up and filmed that. And, oh, you did? Okay. You know, there were 5,000 people there. And we also had the these six-foot outdoor photographs that we had done for the U.S. Open. We had those shipped down to Richmond, and they were out there on the boulevard representing Arthur's story. And I thought that was very, very poignant that the boulevard that these statues were on you know, intersecting, you know, the other Monument Boulevard. Avenue, right? Yeah, Monument Avenue. So it's now called Arthur Ashe Boulevard. I thought that was very poignant. And also one other point on that, that street also goes down to the tennis courts, uh, right. the, the public tennis courts there that he was not allowed to play on. Yeah, there's a whole story. We could have had a whole 30 minute section on the intersectionality of Richmond and George Floyd and Arthur Ashe and the statue. Surprise guest drop in. Well, speaking of Arthur Ashe Boulevard, we have a surprise guest. Hello, David. Good morning. Good morning, David. Footnote. David Harris's mother was Arthur Ashe's sister. David is one of those Richmonders and Ashe family members that we did interview, but again, only had 90 minutes. So how were you involved in the uh, renaming of Arthur Ashe Boulevard? I think you, you were one of the primary players in that. Is that correct? Yeah, I was the one crazy enough to stick my neck out there and say, hey, <laughs> what do you think about doing this? And it, it, it was born out of a couple of things. One was for me was a fiscal responsibility because the, the building was becoming dilapidated and irreparable. You're talking about the Arthur Ashe Center. Arthur Ashe Center, Okay, correct. got it. Okay. Right. And so since uh, it was a street with no name, it was the best possible choice. I can honestly say it had been something that had been weighing, uh, weighing heavily on me for quite some time. And after doing some reading and stuff like that, I realized that I really hadn't done much in life compared to uh, my uncle. All the stuff that he did by 50. My colleagues and I, we were all like, yeah, we're behind. Do you, what do you remember about your uncle or were you even alive when he was alive? I was. I was. Um, he, he actually came to my high school graduation. 
Oh, cool. Um, Where And what high school was that? I was Hermitage High School. Hermitage, okay. One of the very interesting stories and one that was very poignant to me was that one year we were down in Miami, Florida for family vacation. Uh, it was it was guys' night to go to the movies. So somehow we swindled and convinced them into taking us to see Cheech and Chong. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody was stoned, I'm sure. No, none of us were stoned. Right, right. But uh, however, one of the most poignant things that happened was that, you know, we were rushing to get into the theater. Uh, there were some fans, and yet he still stopped and took the time to speak to those people graciously and make to make acquaintance. And that's echoed many times in the film right. where you see that he was always interested in being with other people, helping other people and inspiring them. Right. Well, speaking of inspiration, David, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything else you want to say to Rex or about uh, your uncle before we let you uh, get about your day? Rex, looking forward to seeing you next week and, and congratulations on getting this film done. Absolutely. It's going to be great. We're having two days of Richmond screening. So I'm really excited to bring the film to Arthur's hometown yep. and have Ash family members in attendance. Yes, definitely. David, thanks again. Thank you. Now let's get back to Citizen Ash. Rex, you and Sam Pollard co-directed this film. Now he's got incredible credits as a solo director. Footnote. Some of Sam Pollard's documentaries include Mr. Soul and MLK slash FBI. He's also edited a number of films for Spike Lee, including Mo Better Blues, Jungle Fever, and was Oscar nominated with Lee for Four Little Girls in 2010. Why did y'all decide to team up on this project? Making a documentary film, especially independently, is no easy task. So at a certain point, we were a little bit stuck in the edit, and there was just a dialogue uh, about what are the next steps. And my producing partner, Anna Godas, uh, had worked with Sam. I had actually worked with Sam before shooting part of a film that he had done previously. Through all the trials and tribulations of five plus years on this project, the question always was, what's good for Arthur? And we spoke to Sam, had a great talk about what we were trying to do with this film. And he came on and, you know, I, I give all credit to him for really shaping this. My style is to put everything interesting in the pot. But Sam was the voice of organization and maturity and stay on message. And Sam was the voice of reason and the senior voice in the edit room and just did a great job of bringing the film home. So do you think maybe we might ever be able to see that footage, uh, the Richmond section somewhere else, maybe in a little uh, YouTube or something? <laughs> yeah, uh, I keep joking, uh, probing with my wonderful CNN partners that maybe one day there'll be a director's cut. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, we had some footage from a 1965 Davis Cup match when Arthur went down to Ecuador in front of a tiny little stadium that was overflowing with people. Arthur lost you know, the big, he lost twice, actually he lost both his matches and the footage is amazing. And Arthur says, you know, that's where I learned what it means to be an American because everybody in the stands was just going crazy trying to beat big, bad America. And he lost and he felt that pain. He said it was his most painful loss ever. Wow. So wow. yeah, Arthur had an amazing life, both on the court and off the court. So how can you put it all in 90 minutes? In case you're just tuning in, Rex Miller is one of the directors of Citizen Ash, a documentary that looks at Richmond native Arthur Ashe. 
Uh, of course, you did shoot in Richmond. Other than some interviews, did you shoot all the recreations in Richmond or were they shot somewhere else? The tennis recreations uh, were shot in Durham, my hometown, on one of the public park courts uh, where I still teach a little bit. They're a little bit old looking, a little bit droopy. And it was a perfect place to shoot little seven-year-old Arthur kind of having his first tennis lesson. We shot some scenes with a young player named Jelani Saar, who's one of the top five junior players. And that was shot in Lynchburg, Virginia, on the actual backyard court at Dr. R.W. Johnson's house. Oh, cool. Help from the Johnson family. And then we shot with Chris Eubanks in two places. Chris Eubanks is the touring pro who's playing Wimbledon qualifying next week. We shot with him at the West Side Tennis Club in Forest Hills where Arthur won the U.S. Open. And then we did some more shooting with him in Atlanta on a public court to show Arthur practicing training. You had a treasure trove of film footage, video footage, TV shows, and tons of photographs. Was there stuff you could you just wanted to use and you just couldn't that was well, you mentioned the one piece already, but was there stuff that you just couldn't even use because there was just so much that was like, oh I think what makes this film stand out is that with the archival footage and audio, most of the film's story is told by Arthur in his voice. And those interviews of, with Arthur came about because I spent 12, 13 days at the Schomburg Center in Harlem, New York. And I went through all 47 boxes of Arthur's oh, personal papers and took literally thousands of photographs of everything. And one of the things that I found was this transcript that was probably a thousand pages and it was Arthur talking, you know, again, this is on, right. printed on the paper and I was allowed to photograph it. And it was all Arthur in first person talking to Arnold Rampersad, who was his biographer. You know, the material was amazing and it was so insightful and it wasn't really even an interview. You know, it was never published. It was just the backdrop for this biography. So we went to Arnold Rampersad, who's still at Stanford, okay, Professor Emeritus, and our archival producer, Hannah Shepard, said, oh, Mr. Rampersad, do you think you have these tapes? And he said, I have no idea, but I'll go look in the attic. And three days later, he reached out to us and he said, I found a shoebox. It has 33 micro cassettes in it. What do you want to do? Oh, wow. And they weren't destroyed by being in the attic from the humidity and the heat. No, the tapes, we had them digitized and most of it was good quality. Wow. Great. You're lucky about that. There's a lot of luck involved. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Documentary. Yeah. So we now have 33 hours of Arthur talking. And again, credit to Sam Pollard, because that's a lot of stuff to choose from. And then it was a question of, do we have one of our characters tell this story or do we hear from Arthur? And it was just a question of getting the balance right, the formula right. Arthur's voice tends to be kind of, you know, flat and steady. He's not an emotional guy. Right. So in a documentary, sometimes you want to ramp up the emotion a little bit. So then we can have John Carlos or Andrew Young tell a portion of the story in South Africa or what it meant that Arthur, you know, stood up and spoke out in, in a certain instance. 
I noticed there were a lot of photographs, obviously, a lot of black and white photographs. And at first I'm like, where do they get all these contact sheets? And then I realized they're not actually shooting contact sheets. That was a design motif. But was that inspired by the plethora of photographs you had? Or how did you come about that idea of let's put the photographs on a contact sheet? The contact sheets were the genesis of this project. So after the Althea documentary was finished and out there, I got a call from a woman named Linda Zimmerman who said, oh, I really like your Althea film. My father, John Zimmerman, was a Life magazine photographer, and he spent a week with Arthur Ashe in 1968 at the U.S. Open. And we have 43 rolls of film that nobody's ever seen before. Wow. You should do a film about all this. So uh, at first I said, no, I just did a film about an African-American tennis player who overcomes obstacles and has similar linkages. And I don't know if I'm ready for another one, but I'm a photographer originally, uh, a magazine photographer, and I knew John Zimmerman. He was like on the masthead of Sports Illustrated and Life Magazine, famous photojournalist. So Linda, his daughter, sent me copies of these contact sheets and I just fell in love with them. And that's kind of how the whole project started. So we actually did scan the original contact sheets. And a lot of them had the original grease pencil markings, how you make right. selections as yeah. a photo editor in the 60s. So we used that design motif uh, a few times when we didn't have the contact sheets, but those are actual contact sheets. Yeah. And then I'm an old photojournalist. So I you know, started with contact sheets and spent 10,000 hours in the darkroom. So it's also a little bit of an homage to photojournalism. You probably already answered this question, but maybe there's another answer to this. What was the biggest challenge in putting this together? And obviously you've said there was so much footage. That may have been it. Creative challenge or business life challenge? (laughs) (laughs) Well, both or whichever one's juicier. The creative challenges in this film was to keep it within 90 minutes. I mean, when we first started this film, we literally were going to focus almost entirely on 1968 with flashbacks to bring us to 1968 because it was such a pivotal year. And Arthur's 1968 was amazing. He was stationed at West Point. So he was living at West Point and he was a lieutenant in the army when King got assassinated, when Kennedy got assassinated through the summer with the Vietnam protests and winning the U.S. Open. Arthur was living at and working at West Point as a lieutenant in the army. So there's certainly enough for a documentary just within those timelines. But then we, I thought, how can we not go to South Africa with him? How can we not focus on him winning Wimbledon or even the heroism he displayed in battling being outed as an AIDS patient? So the, the film grew out from 1968. So that, that was a, a big creative challenge. Another one was, as I mentioned a little bit, Arthur is a very calm sort of non-emotive guy. Well, the events around him were anything but calm. So it was a question of getting that balance right. And then the other challenges are just, you know, you're starting sitting in your apartment and going, yes, I'm going to make a film about Arthur Ashe. So then you have to go out and raise money and go and shoot and arrange 40 interviews around the country And then you have to find broadcast outlets and streamers that might be interested and convince them that, hey, I've really got the goods. This is going to be great. 
but you still have nothing to show them because you're just making the you're film. You're still making it, right, right. And I got to give a huge shout out to my colleagues at CNN Films because they have supported this film and they've believed in the relevance and the importance of Arthur's story. And they've just backed it every step of the way, starting over a year ago, bringing it to major festivals and in New York and London and Telluride. And now they're giving it a home on national TV Sunday night, 9 p.m. with limited commercial interruption. They're making Arthur's life story an event, a national event. Now, I wonder, did anybody make any comments or maybe even CNN had some hesitation or maybe think it was even more solidified in their decision to do this because of King Richard, the uh, the movie about Venus and Serena Williams that obviously won some Oscars and got a lot of press. Do you think that played anything into helping CNN say, sure, let's do this because that had come out and been such a success. And so they said, well, we want to put our you know eggs in the Arthur Ashe basket for the CNN premiere. There is a relevance to King Richard and this film. And, and the relevance is that both films premiered at the Telluride Festival last summer. Uh-huh. And that was really a complete coincidence. Telluride doesn't even announce their films until the day that the festival starts. Wow. So it was, a, it was a complete happy accident. And we benefited, you know, by riding along with King Richard. And I met one of the Williams sisters, Yatunde, I think is her name. She's the lawyer in the family who was the producer on the film. She was at Telluride. So I got to see the world premiere of King Richard like the same day that our film premiered. Cool. And we got mentioned in some articles together like, oh, look at these two tennis films about African-American characters that are about more than tennis. So it's just been a benefit to be mentioned in the same sentence as King Richard, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. Question I always like to ask everybody, and you may be too busy promoting this right now, but when you have a little downtime, what are you watching? <laughs> when I have downtime, if I'm not playing tennis or coaching tennis or chasing after my kids, uh, I might be watching uh, tennis on Tennis Channel. <laughs> so predictable, <laughs> you know, Rex. Following some of my favorite players out there. But yeah, I'm looking for documentary films and riveting crime docs and you know, shooting other people's projects. I, I direct it, but I also shoot other people's projects. So, yeah, always looking for motivation. Well, I want to thank you for doing this, Rex. This has been fascinating. The documentary was informative. I mean, I've lived in Richmond since college. And, of course, I knew Arthur Ashe and knew a lot of the story. But there were things in that that were a revelation to me. And it was fascinating to learn those things and to just hear him and his voice for so much of the time. So thank you so much for your work. And uh, we'll be looking forward to the big premiere on Sunday night. Thanks, Jerry. And, and looking forward to seeing everybody in Richmond at our screenings up there at the uh, Museum of Fine Arts. Oh, you're coming. Oh, yeah. Bring oh, great, great. And everything. And it's sold out, by the way. Come on in. I'll squeeze you in the back door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just tell them Sifter sent you. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, Rex. Thank you, Jerry. That was director Rex Miller talking about Citizen Ash, a documentary that looks at Richmond native Arthur Ash. It's running on CNN starting June 26th, and I'll have links to that on the webpage at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. Elvis. Boz Luhrmann's biopic of the King featuring Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker. The Black Phone. Ethan Hawke goes dark in this thriller about a child killer. Facing Nolan, a documentary about baseball legend Nolan Ryan. TV and streaming. 
On the 22nd, Season 3 of The Umbrella Academy returns to Netflix. On the 23rd, Menudo Forever Young on HBO, a series about the Latin American boy band. Also on FX and Hulu, The Bear. Jeremy Allen White, best known as Lip from Shameless, stars as a young chef. On the 24th on Netflix, Man vs. Bee. Rowan Atkinson is back battling bees while house-sitting. Money Heist Korea Joint Economic Area on Netflix. The popular international hit moves from Spain for the fourth season with an all-new cast and caper. Also on Netflix, The Man from Toronto. Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson play a deadly assassin and a big screw-up who are mistaken for each other at an Airbnb. We Hunt Together on Showtime, a British drama about two detectives who track down two killers. After a two-year wait, Westworld returns to HBO for season four, which is set in a New York-style cityscape. Loot on Apple TV, Maya Rudolph plays a woman who finds her life upended when she inherits $86 billion. On the 28th, season two of Only Murders in the Building returns to Netflix, about the podcast crime solvers played by Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. On the 29th, Baymax on Disney, the characters from Big Hero 6 get their own series. Next week, we meet a dresser who works on Broadway's Hamilton and Saturday Night Live. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.